0: You know, you you have to just ride the wave that is here. And um, it's hard to give specific advice for that, other than just to say, interpret the market as it comes. um, And a market like this will keep you on your toes. I think for real estate professionals anyway, what a market like this forces people to do, theoretically what it should do, is it forces us to change our narrative and to let the stats actually form what we say about the market, right? The temptation in real estate is to be like, hey, it's a good time to buy, it's a good time to sell. Those cliches don't work, okay? Um, What does it mean to be a market expert? We have to get um, down and dirty in the numbers and to really know how are they moving? How are things changing within the market?
1: Hi, Housing News listeners. This is Alstina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. You just heard a quote from today's guest. Ryan Lundquist, market analyst and owner of Lundquist Appraisal Company and the Sacramento Appraisal Blog. In this episode, Ryan discusses how the appraisal sector fared during the initial onset of the COVID 19 pandemic and how appraisers are now navigating 2021's hot housing market. Thank you to our sponsors, Citus AMC and Origins, and here's episode two of season six of the Housing News Podcast.
2: Welcome everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler, editor in chief at HousingWire with the latest episode of our Housing News podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Ryan Lundquist. Ryan Lundquist is a certified residential appraiser in the Sacramento area, and he also writes the very popular Sacramento appraisal blog, where he talks about trends he's seeing there and really serves as a source of information for other appraisers. Ryan has been an affiliate member of the Sacramento Association of Realtors for more than a decade and he was awarded the Affiliate of the Year in 2014. He's also a board member of the Real Estate Appraisers Association of Sacramento. Ryan, welcome.
0: Hey, thank you so much, Sarah. Really appreciate getting to be here. Uh, good morning.
2: Yeah, good morning. We're, we're so excited to have you. So <clears throat> I'd love to start out um, on, on housing news. We really want to know, how did people get, get where they are? Um, were you eight years old and they were like, I definitely want to be an appraiser? Is that, is that how that worked?
0: You know, there's probably not too many eight-year-olds out there who are dreaming of being appraisers. Um, I think, frankly, mostly everyone who ends up working in real estate gets there by accident. And for me, I was a teacher in a previous life, and um, my wife got pregnant by me. And um, we ended up, uh, I needed a career change. I needed to make more money. And that's what it came down to. I knew some appraisers. I asked them to train me and they did. And so it was as simple as that. There were no aspirations. I honestly wake up sometimes going, who am I? What in the world? Why am I excited about Excel and numbers and telling the story of the market? And I, I just, I never anticipated that. And so I'm, uh, I'm having a good time.
2: You are, you know, you're um, you're really known nationally because of your appraisal blog. So, so tell me how you decided to start writing that, and and what you get out of it. You know, how, what does that look like on a weekly basis, and and why do you keep doing it?
0: Yeah. So, for the past twelve years, um, I've written a blog, and um, I put out one post per week. Um, at first, of course, I was doing four or five because I that's just way too much. You can't keep a subscriber list if you're putting out too much content, but. Um, one a week, and it's just really to, um, you know, to put myself out there, to touch base with people. Um, it, I It really began as a way to, I wanted to attract the type of clients that I wanted. You know, I, I saw sort of the writing on the wall in the profession, at least, and thinking that, you know, I don't want to be a part or a victim to the AMC model as much as possible. And so, I want to try to do more private work. And um, And it's really so, it's really helped me diversify, but it's really morphed into this thing. I, I just, I love it. It's this conversation um, piece. It's a tool just to connect with people um, and to be a resource. And so, um, it's sort of all of the above. It sort of checks a lot of boxes, I think, in my life. A lot of, a lot of passions, really. I know that sounds maybe nerdy, but um, but but it's really true.
2: Uh, we love nerdy and and I can say because I'm a frequent reader of it, um, you engage it, it's really a community of people that you're engaging with. So people send you questions. Um, they might be new to the area or new to the profession and and you always take your time to really walk through your um, methods with them and kind of try to answer their questions. So I think it's it's much more than just like you putting something out. It's definitely seems like a conversation you're having with people in the in the space
0: absolutely you know it's it's a relationship and i think sometimes like the way we view social media is so backwards or blogging it's sort of like this i'm going to blast out this thing and you know everyone's just gonna listen or whatever that's just so backwards and so it's more like i want to share this content that becomes something else where you know the post is one thing but then it's all about the comments what are people saying what are we learning down there you know just like we read any article today this is a nice article but but let me go straight to the comments. I want to see how people are engaging. And that's where it's at for me, not only on the blog, but taking the content on Facebook and Instagram and wherever and just being able to dialogue and um, have conversation. I, I learn a lot from other people um, myself just through these conversations. So it's it's fun.
2: That's great to hear. Well, well bring us up to speed. You know, appraisals um have been in the news as long as I've been at for 7 years and they're they're a continual source of um you know things that are are going great in the industry and and different ways and and then they can be the pain point in the lending process people can right now they seem to you know most of the noise around them is a, around the appraisal gap that we're seeing in different parts but I would love to to have you recap what you've seen over the last year, you know, during COVID and then now into this year, what is what does business look like? What did it look like in those early months? And then and then what happened, um, you know, starting last May or so?
0: Absolutely. So when when COVID first began, I think, you know, the market stalled, you know, prices sort of slough for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, pendings were sloughing for about four to six weeks. And, you know, it's sort of, I think a lot of people were watching going, is this it? You know, is the market going to start doing something else? But then there was this dramatic rebound. Um, no mistaking, coincidentally, or no coincidence, I should say, when mortgage rates went below three percent. Um, and people are motivated by the pandemic. It just brought everyone and their mom out to the housing market. And so it's been a bloodbath since then. Um, I think that this is the most aggressive market we've we've had. Um, it feels like there's about twice as many buyers compared to the number of listings, um, even on, on a national scale. And so it, I would say that the market is wildly imbalanced. I would say words like, Um, Chaos, describe it very well. Um, It shouldn't be this difficult to obtain housing and to find shelter, but it is, that's what we have right now. And in terms of appraisals, I think the, the difficulty is that we have this auction environment where you know, buyers are bidding way beyond anything that's reasonable. And so an appraiser goes in there and and is answering the question, what's not the highest auction price possible, but what is a reasonable value that the lender should lend on on this property that represents what the lender should lend? And and so I think market value and auction value are two different things. And so there's been a lot of hostility um, toward appraisers for a lot of reasons. Um, And of course, when an appraisal comes in lower than it should, I mean, Obviously, people should be upset if it this if there's a quality problem in the profession, people ought to be upset. But I think a lot of people know at times, though, too, that you know there's no way this thing should appraise at the contract price. And so, I have a client who bought in October. I just uh, I re-inspected his property the other day. I'm doing a private appraisal for him, and he told me he said I I paid cash for this property. I paid about 15% above the list price. And now, today, I think it's worth probably what I paid for then. And so he was fully aware in October that he was overpaying, right? Now, we can scrutinize that from the outside and say, oh, you know, the appraisal came in low, but you know, it should have, or I was pulling comps the other day and I thought, why is this one so much higher? And so I emailed the agent. The agent was very communicative. I really appreciate it. And I said, Hey, did any chance that the buyer paid above the appraised value? Yes, the buyer did 50,000 above. And sure enough, this one was about 50 grand higher than the other ones. And so I think we're in an interesting market like that. Um, And where I think the easy target is the appraisers, of course, I mean, for so many reasons that that is, but I think we have to back up and go, you know, appraisers aren't responsible for these lopsided conditions, you know, having over a decade of not enough new construction going through a global pandemic and having a shift in demographics, people staying in their homes longer, less listings coming to market, we have the largest generation Millennials who are now, you know, in the market buying homes. There's, there's so many reasons why the market is the way it is right now, and and I think that we we have to, in some senses, concede that you know, yeah, there's some problems with appraisals, but appraisers haven't caused this market. And um, you know, I feel for buyers, I, I really, really do. But you know, the appraiser's role isn't to sort of match that auction price and and get the deal done. That's just not the fundamental role.
2: Well, and and it never was but especially you know in light of the the things that were put in after the last financial crisis um you know this you guys are now one of the one of the safeguards right so that you know that arms length relationship so so that, that doesn't happen the way that it did then so so it is an interesting turn but but tell me a little bit so you know i i bought a house during the pandemic um, I, I obviously as, um, editor in chief of Hasenberg, I'm constantly reading about real estate and, and, um, the market and things like that. So it, it's hard for me as just a layperson to go, how do you come up with like, when you say market value is not the same as auction value? What, how do you distinguish between those two? How would you define those two?
0: So I don't know if there's a definition for auction value, a formal one, but I, I would say that that's you know the you know some person's version of here's what it's going to take to get this accepted, and I'm just offering this amount arbitrarily um, probably, or here's what I think it will it will take to get into contract, right? Um, market value would be the most probable price this property should bring in an open market, and you know basically if you lined up 100 buyers, what's the most reasonable realistic Price that this property should bring. And, and so, um, you know, I'm just saying that there is, there, there can be a, a vast difference at times. Um, with that said, though, the market has been moving very, very quickly. Um, in Sacramento, the past 90 days, our median price has increased by 11.3% in 90 days, right? Our prices are, are, all metrics are up about 20% from last year at the same time. And here we are in our 10th year of price growth. And we had this dramatic turn where the market was slowing down and then all of a sudden it's driving 120 miles per hour. And so um, somehow in the midst of this, the appraiser answers the question, you know, um, what's the most reasonable value here? And and I'll say, I mean, it's not. It's not easy to decipher that, um, you know. Like I said, you know, we this feels very chaotic. But in the midst of that, you know, the appraiser's role isn't just to say that, yeah, to sort of ratify, you know, the the highest the highest offer ever, which probably, you know, might not reflect the value. So, you know, let's let's put it this way. I mean, what if a lender did a loan on that property back in October for the full amount? And it really was, it was in contract 15% too high. Like right now in May, 2021, it's probably worth what that guy paid. Okay. But we have this dynamic where I think a lot of buyers are going, you know, I'm going to overpay and then maybe hopefully the market will increase and then I, I won't be, you know, sort of underwater. But, you know, we have this dynamic where I think a lot of people are getting into contract too high. They're paying cash above the appraised value, and it's just—it's the nature of the beast. I mean, of course, to be fair, at some point we have to ask, well, it, does that represent the market, right? And, and so I think that that's—that's that's a fair question that every appraiser and market professional has to ask. But but we just—we have to be aware, though, that fundamentally, that you know, what is the appraiser's role here, and. Um, you know, and, and what is what is the market's role? And just conceding that, gosh, I mean, I, I think everyone knows that it's not always there. You know, even agents I talk to behind the scenes, they're like, yeah, there, there's no way this one is going to appraise. Or sometimes it does appraise that high, then they thought, I don't know how that happened. It was magic.
2: So interesting. You know, um, you're talking about Sacramento, and we know that Sacramento has been one of the hottest markets. So um, tell us a little bit about your market, you're in California. So it's not like it's been a backwater at any point, but tell us about what has happened over the last year. Where are you seeing all those buyers come from and and what do you attribute that to?
0: Yeah. So uh, what's interesting to me is that as I talk with colleagues and other real estate professionals across the country, this chaotic dynamic—it's—it's really happening just about everywhere. And so even though there's no such thing as a national market, all we have we have thousands of submarkets that make up the United States. But really, we're kind of going in that same direction. And so it's interesting to compare notes. So I'll say what we're experiencing here isn't foreign to probably where you are. um, but One dynamic that we have that other people might not have as much, though, we do have increased Bay Area migration. And so, um, when you look at like migration data in um, both out of New York and San Francisco, you know Manhattan and San Francisco, there was a greater exodus from those cities. Now, some of the migration stats it's actually overblown. I mean, everyone thinks you know everyone's leaving everywhere, but you know, but really there was something legitimate that happened in San Francisco and Manhattan. And so, we have been the recipient of more. Bay Area migration. Um, Now, in my market, it's easy to sort of blame everything on the Bay, right? Um, I I imagine like in Austin, it's all about like, it's everyone from California that's making our market move or in Florida, everyone says, it's everyone coming from New York. And it's like almost, my, my observation is that every single market blames someone else, right? But the reality is, is that even though there's increased Bay Area migration, we have a really chaotic environment because buyers are hungry. Local buyers are pulling the trigger. And sometimes I, I feel like the narrative is maybe understating that or not recognizing that this dynamic of um, really uh, aggressive real estate is actually happening everywhere. And so sometimes when people say, it's just a Bay Area, I say, well, but the market feels like this all across the country right and one dynamic we've seen in sacramento and even across the united states is uh, a focus on the high end. And so luxury sales have really come alive. Again, part of that's Bay Area. Part of it is people moving up and and being, I think, propelled by COVID. I think the pandemic was a catalyst to help people sort of get off the benches and say, you know, I want to get into the game and, and I'm going to make real estate decisions. I'm going to buy that house. I want more space in an outlying county. I want more land. I want that house with the pool and you know, and so I feel like COVID has really, um, you know, made that happen. And and really, in my market, I I wouldn't be surprised if this was true across the country. But um, for the past 11 months, we've actually seen more sales compared to the previous year. And so the narrative in real estate is that we don't have enough listings, and and it's actually that's true. But the reality is we are seeing more sales happen. And so buyers are basically buying everything that's on the market. It feels really tight out there, but we've actually seen higher volume frankly if we had more listings we would see even higher volume than what, what we have seen but um, that's kind of i think my market in a nutshell i mean we can geek out on a bunch of stats if you want i i think we'll lose anyone listening though but that's that's kind of how i i describe it
2: no i appreciate those insights and and you know we saw early on i feel like you were one of the earliest markets to get that um coming in from the bay area or that we saw a pop was and probably because you're you know closer than some other markets, but we were like Sacramento. Why is Sacramento on the top of this list? Wait, let's look. And um, and you guys have stayed you know in in that in the top metro for for movers. So it is interesting to hear you you know say yes, that's part of it, but also just people you know the the low rates and and the demographics. You know also there there's some part of that that was just going to happen. So I think that's a it's an interesting confluence of things. I will say that it seems like people in other parts of the country. You know, you being in in California, I feel like you you probably have more experience just over the years that you've been an appraiser. Of yes, this is a very chaotic market, but you're used to rising home prices in a way that say someone from my market in Dallas, we're just really not. I mean, you know, I, I the the. Um, the amount of what I paid for my houses versus anything in your area would just be, you know, ridiculous. And, and there wasn't just that huge appreciation right before the crack. you know, we didn't have any of that. So this is really for me anyway, this has been one of the first sort of run-ups that I've seen or, or, or quick home price appreciation, not just here, but in Texas, I have a, a son in Austin, which obviously has been one of the hottest markets. And so, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, you could take from your experience and, and share to, to people who are like, you know, I'm in Pueblo, Colorado, I haven't had to, you know, appraise a house in, a, in this sort of rising rate environment before, you know, what are some of the things you would say to them?
0: well <laughs> well first of all i guess i'll just say welcome to california everyone bashes california but at least i could say now that hey welcome to what trends are normally like here we are a market of extremes i think sometimes appraiser colleagues look on some of my graphs and go i I just can't believe this. Like maybe they've had more appreciation lately, but they see our last few real estate cycles and the wild up and down swings. And, you know um, and so they're, they're really blown away. Um, But I'd say in some senses, I think the whole country has actually experienced what the Bay area is normally like. Okay. The Bay area is um, about within two hours of Sacramento and, their market is honestly normally like this, okay? And Sacramento is not normally so chaotic, um, but it's sort of morphed into, I think, what the Bay Area feels like and everyone's getting a taste. And so I just say to everyone that um, just be aware that um, markets don't, Last, okay? markets are constantly changing. In, in my office, I have um, something hanging on the wall that says the market is always moving. and it's just true. And um, this market won't last forever. I know it feels like it will last forever, but um, you know, you, you have to just ride the wave that is here. And um, it's hard to give specific advice for that other than just to say, interpret the market as it comes um, and a market like this will keep you on your toes. I think for real estate professionals anyway, what a market like this forces people to do, theoretically, what it should do is it forces us to change our narrative and to let the stats actually form what we say about the market, right? The temptation in real estate is to be like, hey, it's a good time to buy. It's a good time to sell. Those cliches don't work, okay. Um, what does it mean to be a market expert? We have to get um, down and dirty in the numbers and to really know how are they moving, how are things changing it within the market. Um, and so if, if anyway, if if we have wild swings, what that does is, it, is that it forces people to have to be that expert, okay? If everything is always the same, we could be like, yeah, yep, the market's stable. You know, this is good. This is how it is in, in Fort Worth and Dallas, um, no problem. But when things start to be chaotic, it forces people to have to look and go, okay, let me try to understand what's going on here and find language to explain this, okay? Because, you know, we talk a lot about in real estate about tech companies and, you know, taking over, you know, humans and I, I you know, that's a whole nother podcast probably. But, um, I think that one of the things that the humans need to do is to watch the market and to, I think, um, hone the numbers and to lasso them in and to tame them and to find language to, um, describe this market. So that, that would be, I think my biggest takeaway, um, or biggest bit of advice for anyone.
2: That's great advice. Um, I know that we, we've we talked before and I quoted you last week about how you're really looking at um, how you as an appraiser make sense of that as things are rising so hard. How do you find that? How do you find that true value? And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you track that trend, like your scatter graphs and you know, kind of what your process looks like.
0: Yeah, so I think that um, to use cat cat lovers will hate me, but I'll say um, there's a there's different ways to skin a cat, right? A horrible horrible metaphor, but there I just said it. But it's probably true. So I don't think that there's one way to look at a market. But I'll say for me, um, philosophically, first we we have to realize that sales represent the past. Okay, sales are historical artifacts that tell us what the market used to be like, and so if something closed and early made. 2021, but it got into contract in April. Well, that tells me more about the market in April when it got into contract. How has the market changed since that property sold or got into contract? Well, let me look to the pendings today let me look and try to gauge demand and you know what's going on you know with days on market how much more are properties getting bid up you know these are sort of clues into the market and so if i have for instance you know sales that closed in may but they got into contract in february or march and say they're at $500,000 but then all my pendings as if it ever works this way it's all neat on paper it hardly ever works this way but say all my pendings are at 525,000 okay there's no rule that says how much a market can increase over time i think sometimes people in the real estate space say 1% per month you know but i'd say no there there's no rule it can be less than that it can decline it can go up way more and so if all my pendings are say at 525 that's a clue that maybe the market is going up quite rapidly. And what helps me sort of supplement what I'm seeing in the pendings and I'm calling the agent saying, what are you in contract for? Right, right? Those properties start closing and well, those are indicators of value as long as they're legit. If everyone's overpaying for something, I got to kind of weigh the pending and go, hey, is that really real or is this just an example of a buyer overpaying some pendings I'm going to throw out just like I am for some sales because, hey, that person paid 50000 above the appraisal. That's just not a legit situation. But I'm pairing this with my scatter graphs also. Right. I even have tutorials online. If anyone wants to know how to make a graph, I mean that stuff is there. It's so easy to do. Um, I'm not. I don't have a background as a nerd. I didn't get a degree in nerddom. I used to be a teacher, but you know, here I am, messing with Excel and you know, looking at trend lines and going, yeah, this this is really steep. And lately, on my graphs, the the trend line has been unreal. I, I can't believe how steep it is. Um, and so like like I said, for a while the market was kind of flattening out. So this trend Trend line is flattening. But right now it's just going to the moon, so to speak, to steal from Dogecoin.
1: And now here's a brief word from our sponsor. At Sidus AMC, we're proud to partner with the most respected brands in the industry to help them identify and capture opportunities across the lifecycle of their real estate finance activity. From origination support to new and seasoned loan underwriting to valuations and brokerage services and everything in between, we're leveraging innovative technologies and expert-led services to help build more efficient, effective, and agile businesses. So whatever your opportunity might be, Citus AMC is here to help you realize it. To learn more, visit our website at citusamc.com housingwire.
2: I got to steal from Dogecoin. Come on, those cryptocurrencies. Um, that's a whole. That's a whole other podcast that we that we need to do. But uh, definitely appreciate that. You know, one of the things that we think about when we think about the a person doing an appraisal versus a machine learning, you know, algorithm, whatever, is that there are these intangibles. And one of the intangibles that you talked about, um, I think, yesterday or, or this week on your blog was was some really interesting houses that had that sort of mid-century vibe or they had a they had a, a something that really appealed to home buyers right now and i guess that's that's my question is how do you how do you factor something in like that because it's like you know you can look at two houses and okay they're you know they're generally the same whatever but then you have that intangible thing that's kind of hard to to see if you were just looking at stats that when you go in or when someone else goes in and goes this is going to be really this is going to be more valuable to people because it speaks to whatever zeitgeist is at the time i would say mid-century because um so i i remember my parents had mid-century furniture i wasn't a huge fan right because that's what i grew up my kids love mid-century that's what they that's what they want which just cracks me up i'm like i i'll take that orange naga hide couch that i had growing up i'll, I'll give that to you um if only i still had it but what how do you how do you factor that in when in this market when you know there's so few of these kind of things or this is what everyone's looking for? Like how does that factor in?
0: Yeah, no, it gets really tricky. So you just guess. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so you, you really have to uh, look to the market for the answers. And and that's that's always the deal in the valuation space where we have to let the market tell the story. And so if a property really is special um, in the eyes of the market, like not in my eyes, I need to, you know, look at every house the same, all that stuff. But um, if a house is special, like this mid-century home I wrote about that sold, I mean, way above what it looked like it should have. Okay. And and maybe it did close too high also. I mean, I, I'll let people be the judge of that, but I have to look to other mid-century comps. You know what are what are buyers paying for? Because I, I'm if something is commanding a premium, I should be able to see that premium in other sales, in other pending data, and in talking to agents also, and relying on them saying what are buyers asking for, what are they looking for? Or like in my market in 2020, we saw an 8.4 percent increase in the number of homes with pools sold, and so it, it, it was a Big deal during the pandemic to quarantine in style in the backyard. And so all of a sudden, the backyard pandemic um, paradise has become a huge deal. And so on paper, you might have, you know, Zestimates or you know, redfin or you know, whatever algorithm we look at that says, okay, this lot is 0.15 acres. It's a very standard, you know, postage stamp lot, but what is on there can make a huge difference, whether a pool or the covered patio or the built-in barbecue and the bocce ball and the and the panoramic view. And, and, and so there's things that do feel more intangible or ethereal and where we have to sort of be in tune with what are buyers really looking for right now? And, and as from a, an appraisal perspective, that comes from crunching the numbers. It comes from, I think, relationships in the real estate community. It comes from listening to the numbers. It comes from just all these conversations. And so um, I just think that's really critical. But yeah, it's fascinating because I think tastes are always changing, you know, um, like the saying, I mean, like, Cottage cheese texture used to be really popular, not so much anymore, right? I I hope it never comes back, but it just shows that things are uh, like the home office is a really big deal right now. Or in my area, there's two counties that have experienced, um, Really steep growth, um, and so there's a lot of migration into both those counties. It's not only Bay Area, but a lot of locals are going. You know, I want to be on the outskirts of town, not quite rural area, but I want to have more space. I want to feel like I'm less confined. And, and so this this idea of um, you know needing that space as a result of the quarantine, has, I mean, it, it's been very very real. But here's the thing: will that last, or will that eventually contract when people are working not not from home anymore. I mean, we don't know the answers to those questions, but right now those things have become more valuable and there's certain locations that are more valuable, you know, whether it's the pool and whatnot or, or the County or the city, you know, simply because buyer tastes, uh, buyers tastes have changed.
2: Well, and, and to that point, I mean, you don't know how long, it also depends on like what the impact of the co- of COVID had on individual people. So there are some people who are probably like just the, just the impact of this is like I'm never living in a crowded, you know, uh, apartment building, or I'm never living in a condo. Or that that sounds terrible. There are other people who, you know, a couple of years from now, or even now, are like, no, no, I can't wait to get back to that. So it's also, especially after this year, very hard to determine how that, how long those things are going to be um, important to people, and and just the the importance of it wasn't just like, oh, here's a fad, here's a taste, but like something that was so traumatic for people. Um, that's gonna that's gonna live with them for a while, and and how does that you know have the memory going forward ten years from now? Are people still you know the people who maybe were affected at this time be like yeah no I still want space or are people gonna be going back to that you know what we heard two years ago was like millennials want you know uh, stacked living and walkable neighborhoods and everything right there and very very dense um, you know communities it, it'll be interesting to see and I just don't know how how you see that as opposed to like what you said, just watching the stats and seeing as things change, you're going to be able to see it the numbers.
0: Yeah. I mean, trends are constantly changing. Like, you know, here we are, I see kids wearing fanny packs and I'm like, I, if I would, I, I would feel like a major dork. I would be a dork. I would be mocked by my teenagers if I wore that. Right. But you know, here we are um, and there's some pop punk rock starting to come out again. And I'm you know, thanking God, like going grunge 2.0, let's repeat the nineties. I'm there for it. I, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. But things are constantly changing. And, and ironically, um, we, there was so much attention on tiny homes, you know, but it's like, I, I don't hear very much right now. That's not to say that tiny home builders aren't going crazy, but just this idea of having less space, like, that's not so keen on people's lists right now. Okay. And so, Um, I I would just say that things are constantly changing. Even uh, condo sales in my market, and I would suspect in many markets, have sloughed, okay? They haven't grown as much as those single-family detached homes with the backyard because that's what you know, people tend to want. And so, you know, things are constantly changing, styles and music and real estate and people's tastes, um, you know, what they want in life. And I mean, that's to me the the whole fascinating part about real estate. And we we never know what would want. And even from a COVID standpoint, you'd think that, yeah, I don't want to live in a hippie commune, you know, but here's the irony is that um, you know, those hippie commune de- developments probably didn't too well do too well at the beginning, but at the same time, people crave community. And, and I think on, this is not really a real estate note, but just, I think coming out of the pandemic, we can recognize that we can't do life alone. We, we need other people in our lives and um, it's not working to be isolated. You have to have relationships intact. And so I, I think that, You know, a community like that would it would it thrive right now? It would freak some people out, right? But other people would go, I have tasted what isolation is like, and and I can't I can't do this. And so, like you said, I mean, COVID I think hit everyone differently, and I think we're all coming out of this in different ways. um, And um, you know, we'll we'll have different effects. And some people are angry and you know really upset about politics. And I'm like, hey, you know, go go over there, okay? If that's what you want to do in your life, um, I, too much negativity. Don't live there, people. <laughs> There's more to life than um, you know. Political talking points and oh, oh my gosh, you know. So anyway, I'm I'm going off on a tangent, but <laughs> I I can't believe what I I can't believe what I read though when I log on to Facebook and I think, are you still complaining about that? Or like, are we going to live there in perpetual negativity, whether you wear a mask or not? And it's just like you know. There is more to life. We've got to tap into the, what really matters, which is relationship. Well, so that was my sermon.
2: I appreciate that sermon. We are in interesting times, as I say. Um, I did a I did a, an interview with Sean Telford, who's the chief appraiser at CoreLogic, and um, and kind of asked him about some stats because one thing that we hear is just, you know, the appraisal gap is constant, you know, it's being talked about on different forums. We, you know, we're, we're on calls with people. It just, it's just out there, right? That's what people are talking about because um, that's what's going on. But when I asked him about the, the stats on that, which they, you know, there is a stat company, they're a numbers company. I love uh, getting data from them. They showed that, you know, before the pandemic, about 8% of appraisals came in uh, below the contract price. On a national basis. So these are national numbers. So again, there's, you know, that's, that's you know, you're going everywhere from San Francisco to, you know, the middle of nowhere. So, but 8%. And then if you look at since just October 2020 till now, if you look at that whole thing, that's risen to about 15, uh, 14% of properties. The appraisal um, is coming in below the contract price. And then if you narrow that window to just the last three months, it shoots up to seventeen percent. So we, we, I mean, there is definitely it's not just anecdotal, right? We can see that appraisals and contract prices are there's a gap there. But whether that gap is, you know, uh, good or bad is the question. And I think I'd, I'd want to go back to what you said about how people are kind of using appraisers as a scapegoat or 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 you know really being upset at the appraiser when it's not it's not the anger is not placed correctly. In that thing, are you surprised? Yeah. By those numbers? Or does that seem about right to you? Because I thought it was going to come in much higher. For the noise that appraisal gap is, I thought it was going to be like 60% of, you know, because we see that how many, you know, how many homes are having bidding wars. So I expected that number to be higher. But from your perspective, is that still pretty high?
0: You know, I don't have much context to say whether that's high or not, because I don't—I never have access to that stat. Um, but I'm frankly not surprised um, because it's a reflection of the market. You know, especially since January, we've—we've we've had this market that's been moving, I think, more quickly than probably any market we've ever had. And um, like in my market, on average last month, buyers paid $24,000 above the original list price, right? And so, um, and we don't have an, an overpriced market. We have this market um, when you line up 2,500 sales to, to get to that number at 24,000 is just massive. Okay. And so, in my market, on 104% um, or 4% above the original list price is what buyers basically paid. And so, you know, it, it makes sense when appraisers are going out there and appraising deals, it's like, well, we have this chaotic environment. On one hand, appraisers absolutely need to recognize. That prices are increasing. They need to do a good job. We need to do a good job measuring the market. Okay. If we say we're really reflecting the market, but not giving adjustments up to the sales when the market's gone up, then, you know, shame on us. We're not doing a good job. Um, But I think also um, what we have to recognize too is that uh, you would think that 80% of appraisals are coming in lower, but you know, there, I think the noise from that seventeen percent is sort of the the vocal minority, and, and so we have, I think. Um, you know, a lot of complaining. Um, I think appraisers are just getting, you know, kicked to the curb on all the major forums online. You know, but there's I don't can't I can't remember any post this year that came back and said, Hey, I'm really grateful that this appraiser did a did a wonderful job. Not that I'm fishing for that. That would be kind of weird to be honest, but but I'm just saying is that people go to these forums to complain. All right. And there's just that's human nature. And so I think that that forms our perception where we think that everything is coming in lower or there's no appraiser doing a good job out there. When I would say, well, you know, what about the 83% of the deals that did go through? And, you know, that's not to justify or to explain away um, any issues that we're having where if something legitimately came in lower. But, you know, I think sometimes our perception is maybe skewed from, um, you know, from that 17%, though, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think that, you know, even on your blog this week, you had you you talked about, you know, um that only 2.8% of all sales last month had 20 offers or more. Well, you would think if you're a seller right now, you're like, I'm going to get 20 offers and I can put this outrageous price on there and and it's just again, that's the one you hear, that's what you're going to hear your neighbors talking about and that's what, you know, comes through but that two point eight percent—that doesn't—I mean—that's obviously higher than normal, but that's um, that's not—I mean, two point eight percent is pretty small.
0: Well, yeah, and I think the danger in a, in a market like today is that we we sometimes let the sensational numbers. Form our perception of reality. And and so, you know, the reality, you know, the narrative becomes everything is getting bid up over $100,000. But then I crunch actual stats and say that that's not true. And, you know, everything is getting 20 offers. No, 97% of properties are getting way less than that. The average amount of offers is five. Now, that's like twice as much as it should be. Okay. And, And I think sometimes I share that number and then local agents say, there's no way you're off your rocker. What sort of pricing crack are you you smoking? Like You were so wrong. I'm like, no, no, no. That's what the numbers say. It's just, what is normal? That's what we need to ask. And we should have about two and a half offers in a normal or even competitive market, but having five on average is just crazy. But so I, I think that, like I said, this market is is or should force every real estate professional to really know the numbers and to look at the numbers in a different way. Um, because otherwise, we're going to look at that example in the Bay Area where a property sold literally $1 million above its original list price. And we go, everything's getting up, bid up by a $1 million. Or this viral example in my market, a property got 122 offers and you know as soon as that happened i you know everyone this story was going nuts and people say how am i ever going to get into a home and then as the numbers guy i step in there and go you know there have literally been um you know four. there's literally four sales or four pendings right now with 40 or more offers we need to keep this in context like let's look at that and go this would never have this this wouldn't happen in 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 a market um, that's that's not so aggressive like this is this is a symptom of a market that is very lopsided but at the same time it doesn't indicate, you know, ever you know, uh, or doesn't speak for everything out there right now in the marketplace. So, that's kind of, I think, maybe my my pedestal. And I don't know if that sounds arrogant, but I, I think it felt, sounds very reasonable. And um, I think if real estate professionals want to continue to be relevant, they simply have to be more informed um, about the numbers and become incredible storytellers, um, you know, conveying expertise in the local market. And that's constantly what I share in anything I'm sharing in my daily stats. I'm like, let's you know grasp this and hold on to it and um, and really know that here's how the numbers work here's why things are moving etc etc so I don't want to keep beating the dead horse to use another bad um, you know metaphor for animals so I'm I'm cruel I guess
2: Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing your insights today. It is a crazy mark, as you said, Um, we'll probably have you back on uh, as we go through this year to see what it looks like and what some of these things have changed, you know, six months from now will be really interesting. And uh, in the meantime, really appreciate you and uh, your insights.
0: Thank you, Sarah. This is a joy and keep up the great work. Love, Love what you guys are doing. The
1: Origins Mortgage Platform is a fully integrated digital solution that covers the entire lending life cycle from application to closing. With Origins, you'll have access to client configurable workflows and next level automation. Use Origins to replace your POS, LOS, and CRM mortgage stack with one single platform. Are using our modular capabilities, integrate Origins anywhere in your tech stack where you need to make the biggest impact on your lending. Visit www.origins.com slash housingwire for more details. That's O-R-I-G-E-N-C E.com forward slash housingwire for details. Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Until our next episode, make sure to check out Housing Wire Daily, a podcast dedicated to the hottest news stories across HW Media. The podcast is published each day and is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.